Thank you for tuning in to Cop with Comic. I'm Brian Cop, and we're here with Comic Jonas Barnes. Barnes, how the hell are you? I'm good, man. How are you doing? Oh, good. Thank you so much for coming on. And uh, real quick, where can people see you do stand-up comedy on stage in New York City normally, and where can they find you online in the meantime? Uh, normally, my main club, my home club, is the Creek in the Cave in Long Island City. Uh, that's where I produce my weekly show. Okay. And uh, you can find me um, all over Twitter, Facebook. Uh, Twitter, it's at Jonas Barnes. Uh, Instagram is at Jonas Barnes Comedy. And yeah, so you booked the headliner series at Creek in the Cave. Yeah. Okay. And what kind of what is that? Are you? Um, that's kind of their. You're you're kind of a top booker there, so you're booking the kind of the top uh, shelf talent for uh, the Creek in the Cave. Well, it's that, but also it's one of the only shows in New York City where the headliner is actually doing 45 minutes as opposed oh. to showcase style. So the headliner oh. every time does a long set. Oh, okay, so that must be something that they enjoy. Yeah, definitely. It's I mean, it's one of the only times to be able to work it out in New York City. Oh, good. So other than the, the you know, some people make fun of Long Island City. Of course, I do not because I'm in Astoria, and actually, I'm probably three feet three feet away from Long Island City right now. But you know, if <laughs> if the if the headliner can uh, make it make his way out there to uh, Creek in the Cave, he's going to get some good time. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we've had some top top shelf talent. So, yeah, it's uh, it's a good thing for New York, and I also produce it in L.A. too. Wow. So yeah, how does that happen? So in LA, the one in LA, I'm I'm basically I'm the booker of it, and I'm like the shadow producer, and then I have somebody that's on the ground in Los Angeles that kind of makes sure everything flows properly. Um, oh, and what venue is that then? They don't have a creek in the cave out there, do they? No, no, they don't. Okay. But they have. I mean, they have a similar venue. Um, it's okay. called the the Sycamore Tavern. Um, okay. it's called the do the Dojo of Comedy. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so it's do, like, do they get forty five minutes there too? Yeah, they do. Uh, the last the last one that we had before this whole uh, shutdown situation was Jessa Reed. So oh, wow. she dropped, yeah, she dropped 45 minutes there. And then it's, uh, I mean, it's a cool venue. It's like, you know, a mile from the comedy store. It's really centrally located on Sunset Boulevard. It's just, it's a great venue. Yeah, that must be a wonderful, uh, it's kind of probably an easy show to book because everybody wants, everybody wants to be a mile from the comedy store and have 45 minutes and just to be headlining. Right. It's just it's so hard to do that in Los Angeles and New York to do a long set and actually work out for your local fans. So, yeah, it works out pretty well. And so how did you kind of get into that? It looks like you were you're kind of, you know, not only do you have, you know, several uh, podcasts that we can talk about. Also, you're, you're you're kind of a writer for you know several magazines. But I think you were you, you know, contributed writing for the Comedy Central roast of Bruce Willis. Is that correct? Yeah, I uh, I contributed some of the writing to that, uh, some of the jokes and stuff that were thrown out there. Can't say which ones, but yeah, yeah. it's uh, yeah, so kind of handful of them made it on. Oh, good. And so, how? I mean, are you are, were you based in Seattle a long time ago? Yeah, I was originally based uh, comedy wise in Seattle. Okay, and then how kind of yeah? How did you make the the transition to the point where you are booking headlining series in both LA and New York City and writing for roasts? <laughs> well, I mean, in Seattle and Portland, Portland was where I was at right before I hit New York. Okay. Um, Seattle and Portland both have a really low ceiling as far as what you can really do in those scenes. Right. Like, that's actually how 
the headliner series really came about. So in Seattle and Portland, it's really easy for you to work out 30 minutes, 40 minutes, 40 minutes, 60 minutes and build up your hour. And then when I moved to New York, I found out that that's almost impossible in New York city. (laughs) So I was like, Oh shit. Okay. So it's like, it's almost impossible in New York to do this. And then also I found out in LA just through the grapevine and also going to LA that it's pretty much impossible there too, unless you're doing a big theater show. So I was like, this needs to be a thing. So I started it and, um, (laughs) you know, comics, I mean, Jonas Barnes made it a thing. You know, Jonas Barnes is like, this should be a thing. And then Jonas Barnes makes it the thing. Pretty much. Yeah. I saw the opening for it. And I was like, why is this not a thing? Yeah. And it's, it's worked out really well. And then are you able to kind of get on any of these shows yourself? Like, you know, are you able, you know, do you put yourself on the Creek in the Cave earlier in the evening? Or are you, you know, where are you kind of working out your act um, when the virus, you know, the virus ends and New York City opens back up? I mean, I perform all over New York, but the headliner series show at the Creek in the Cave, I host it. Okay. So that's kind of my way of making sure that I have new stuff every week. Okay. You know, so yeah, I make sure that I host it. And then if for whatever reason, if I can't host it, I have some people to, you know, be backup hosts and stuff like that just in case. But yeah, I'm usually the one that hosts that. Yeah, it must be a fairly easy hosting slot to give away if you ever have a vacation coming up. Right, it's not. It's not <laughs> at all. <laughs> yeah, does somebody want some sweet stage time in front of a, a rapt audience that's paying attention because there's a huge headliner coming up? Right, yes, a hard sell, real hard sell. <laughs> and then what we're going to talk about real quick today is the fact that um, there, there's kind of a, you know, you suggested a handful of topics as I have the comics do, and there's a nice thread running through it. I mean, you know, horror movies uh, metal music and also things like you know mma pro wrestling like what, what do you think these things have in common and um you know what do they say about the person who holds these interests you know like you know i would think that there must you know somebody who likes metal music might be more likely to like horror films than maybe lifetime movies right i think people that are into horror generally have a darker um a darker interest in most of the arts you know whether it's literature whether it's music whatever and a lot of times heavy metal music and horror films go hand in hand yeah sometimes Um, one one scores the other don't they right absolutely that happens all the time um so i think that kind of that vein goes quite you know right down there as well but i've always been into the theatrics of things which is why which is also why i like heavy metal shows because a lot of times they have a really theatrical stage set like they have a really big performance which is also why i like professional wrestling because it's all about the you know it's all about the entertainment factor oh. and so i mean is any of that making its way into your comedy like you know th- are there any theatrics in a jonas barn set no <laughs> absolutely <laughs> not i am not right. i Nope, I'm I am a stand there and talk about my life comic. I, yeah, uh, yeah. Some people like things because they're the same, and sometimes people like things that are totally different from them. And so, if you're a stand in place guy, that makes a little sense that you enjoy the theatrics of uh, you know pro wrestling or metal. Right. I don't have to do any of the active theatrics because a lot of the stuff that I talk about on stage is pretty outlandish in and of itself because I've lived a very crazy life. So. Okay. Yeah, That's like I, I mean, you're into rock photography, but also um, it sounds like you can speak to addiction a little bit, which I'm interested in. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I um, it's that's been something that's been a part of my life uh, literally since birth. So, okay. 
And so, um, yeah, what can you say about it? Is any of it making its way into your show? Like, you know, I, you know, I think myself, I'm a food addict, but I'm also, you know, great friends with, uh, you know, recovering alcoholic and, and a certain program, I shall not name its name, you know, saved his life because he worked the program, you know, it's not, you know, the program didn't save your life. You saved your own life by work, you know, working the program actively, you know, like is any of that, yeah, is any of that making its way, like, you know, in your show, were you talking about any lows that you or other, you know, any, any bottoms that you or friends have had? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I've talked about my Coke addiction. I've talked about alcoholism. I've talked about suicide attempts. I've talked about mental illness, all sorts of stuff. I think that's kind of one of the best ways to take a really dark, you know, subject like that is to pull the humorous aspects out of it. Yeah. And it kind of like, it breaks the ice for the audience, but it also like gives it a human layer too. Yeah. And also you're not making fun of the fact that you did it you're making fun of the situations that came out of doing it and why you're better um now than you were then yeah and so i mean what are some of the things that maybe you know you were using um substances to cope with and you know are those things now being coped with more constructively via comedy or via performance yeah there um one of the one of the biggest things that happened when i started going into recovery and when i started really like getting back in tune with myself is I really ref- reflected on my life and why I was using and why I was going through all those things. Yeah. Um, once, I re- once I reflected on those with a more clear head and a guess would say a non-medicated brain, yeah, I kind of really cracked all that open and actually dealt with it. Which yeah, well, really- yeah, well, yeah. What were what were some of those things? Was it um, you know, having a big ego or having anxiety or kind of what? Yeah, what what can you talk about as what some of those sources that you dug into? I can talk about any of them. I mean, a lot of it was, it wasn't ego. It was a lot of it was, uh, I had fears of commitment. Um, I had abandonment issues from my childhood. Um, I had some past trauma that had to do with my dad, uh, that I didn't deal with. Um, so once I started dealing with that stuff, I could pull the funny stuff out of the really shitty things that happened. You know, I was like, okay, there's actually a lot of humor here. Yeah, um, even even in some of the shares, people in rooms, I think, you know, from what I hear and I've been, you know, I think I've been to a couple of AA meetings just because it was, uh, you know, I was going because, you know, I had my own food addiction issues. But, you know, these were I, I didn't feel comfortable sharing because these are not my people. You know, like I want to I want right. to go to interact with other food addicts, except there's just not as many meetings. And so I've been to a couple. And from what I hear, though, too, that a lot of the the shares, uh, you know, border on comedy. Some of these people almost seem like they're working on material in the room. A hundred percent. I mean, that's, that's very accurate. I mean, a lot of the times, especially when you actually deal with the problems that you had, yeah. once you actually deal with those things, you actually see the humorous aspects of it. And that's what I started to do. Like the darker it went, I was like, Oh, this is terrible, but also this is really funny. You know? Uh, and what, I mean, what was the first feeling that you had, you know, first of all, when did you go on, you know, at what point in your recovery did you start going on stage or have you been doing that much longer than you've been in recovery? I'd been talking about it before I went into recovery, but then it sort of transitioned into a new layer of the material. Um, Because like when I mentioned that I'm sober on stage, it almost always gets an applause break. And I almost always tell people not to applaud it. (laughs) I'm like, like, you don't need to applaud that. Like I I shouldn't even be in this situation. Like I was like, (laughs) I'm happy I did it, but I should never have had to go here. Like this is not. You know, so That's don't applaud funny. it. Just, just don't do what I did. You know, because when you so when you look back on how you know maybe certain years or days or, or 
you know, certain years of your life might have been wasted on the addiction. You're like, man, why the fuck did I have to waste all that time when, you know, I've ultimately saw the light? Why couldn't have I, I have seen the light sooner? Right. You know, and it, obviously everybody's journey is different and it, you know, it takes a different thing for every person. But yeah, whenever I talk about it, I don't make light of the fact that I used to do $200 worth of cocaine a night. You know, yeah. I don't make it a thing like I don't glorify it. Um, but I do talk about the really funny parts of it that happened when I was doing stuff like that, you know. Like I, there was one thing where it's a very quick thing. I ended up doing it until like five in the morning one night and completely blacked out. And this was in the lower East side of Manhattan, completely blacked out. I woke up the next day in central park. My Lord in heaven. I couldn't walk that sober. I have no idea how I got there. I have no idea what happened in between those hours. Absolutely no idea. All I know is that I woke up curled up to the statue, the Alice in Wonderland statue in Central Park. <laughs> At some point, you got the bright idea that, man, hey, I'd like to see that statue right now. Right, absolutely. I have uh, no idea. Let's hope that a, a kindly soul was like, I, I don't think that this person should be here in the Lower East Side in the condition he's in. Let me drop him in a slightly safer part of New York City. Oh, I'm sure I took the subway or something. I guarantee it. I, <laughs> I think guess. I went on pilot i probably took the subway i probably ended up there and was like this seems like a cool place to curl up and go to sleep you know <laughs> I, I don't yeah even if that was a goal of yours i don't even know how you found that fucking thing like that's just i, I couldn't even find that thing if i wanted to and i guess one, one question i have is like when you get a laugh you know telling some of the stories that happen near near your bottom or, or while you were using what you know what's the what's the feeling that goes through you when you get the laugh i mean is there any conflicted feelings there like are you um you know of course you're happy that they're laughing but is there anything in there that's also like man um if these stories are so funny i should go get some more stories like you know is there any risk of backslide in talking about these things on stage or is it just this is your therapy and if you didn't do this every night you know you'd you'd find a less constructive outlet I would definitely say that there's not any conflicting feelings because the way I look at it is I got one funny story out of a hundred things that could have killed me. So, you know, so the risk reward thing was really not there. It just happened Uh to be that I can, I can look at all the shit and I can find the one little diamond in there, you know, but it doesn't make me go back to all the shit because at any time that could have killed me, you know? Yeah, and I imagine even the good story that you had was just surrounded by an avalanche of shit. So it's nice that you have that, yeah, that wonderful perspective because, you know, some of those people who never get rid of, you know, who are these these tortured artists thing, like, you know, I mean, it's such a, it's such kind of a, a, you know, a stupid myth. And I think Nick Thune, that was so funny, stand-up comedian Nick Thune was on Kreischer, Bert Kreischer's podcast, and it was so funny. Like, I've had the same experience myself where... It turns out in a previous episode, Nick Thune blacked out during a Kreischer episode. And so when he came back on, Burt Kreischer was like, dude, I thought it was so cool when you cracked that beer once we got, we started recording. He's like, dude, I don't remember that shit. That was me at my lowest. And and Kreischer was almost admiring of it. And I had the same situation where, you know, I, I was at the lowest point of my food addiction. And some dude saw me, like some dude who went to law school with me, saw me eating a Sunday, an ice cream Sunday at like 10 a.m. on a Saturday by myself. And he was like, yeah. I thought that I thought that was so cool. And I was like, that was actually the moment I thought, what the fuck? Somebody just spotted me doing this right. rid- ridiculous thing. And so 
but but meaning on the Chrysler Thune thing, they they talked about you know how much of a myth it was that tortured artistry is a thing. It's like you're you're an artist, you're not, and the fact that you're tortured probably is not what what's driving the results in your art. A hundred percent. Yeah, I agree with that, and I think also once you actually get to a certain point of recovery from substance abuse and from any, you know, from anything, whether it's food addiction or substance abuse, um, sex addiction, gambling, any of that, you also, um, start to love yourself again, uh-huh. you know, cause there's also aspects of that too. There's always some sort of self-hatred going on. Yeah. It's like in some fashion, whether it's extreme or not, there's some form of self-hatred going on. So once it finally kind of like smooths over a little bit and you get to a point where you can kind of accept yourself again. Yeah. That's that's when it kind of goes like, okay, yeah, I don't want to go back to that person that hated who he saw in the mirror. I like who I am better, you know. Wow. And there's there's lots of ways to look at it, but it's um, you know, what I finally found out is like I kept on trying to treat the the what you know so like what the issue was so like i'm doing coke every day i need to figure out like i need to figure out what that is it was never about that it was always i was always like what i needed to do was actually treat the reason that i was doing so Uh, that's what so that's the 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 why the why instead of the what exactly the why was the most important thing and then once i started to figure that stuff out then it was a lot easier because then it was like okay so the reason i'm doing all this is because of this thing and right. that's what you need to work on, you know. And then, the, then the when happens fairly immediately. Like once you start finding the why, then then you're like, man, I got to start fucking dealing with that that why right now. And so the when kind of sorts itself out. And kind of yeah. as far as as far as results in comedy, like have you, you know, did you find yourself, you know, getting farther? Because it seems like you're pretty far along. Um, did you did you start, you know, kind of ramping up the results because you stopped using? Yes and no. Um, I was able to prioritize things better after I stopped using, which helped a lot because when I was using, it was kind of just throw shit at the wall and see what sticks type of thing. Yeah. Uh, But then after I stopped using, I kind of like put everything out in front of me and was like, okay, I need to focus my attention on this, on this, on this, this can wait, this can wait, you know, like that type of thing. So I would sit there and I would actually just put things in the places that they needed to go. Okay. So anything that needed like immediate attention, I could do that. And then, yeah. like, once done, then I could deal with stuff that's like farther down the road and stuff like that. Yeah, and so, is the reason you know it's like jumping in a swamp and wrestling each alligator in turn. Like I find, yeah, the, the friend who's in recovery, you know, he he's doing a lot of those little things that, you know, he, yeah, he's he's finally tending to the issues that he, you know he had long probably neglected. And of course, I'm doing the same thing myself, neglecting them, not addressing them. And so, you know, is is do you find yourself, you know, okay, this problem cropped up, this tax authority wants wants to garnish my wages. Let me take care of this immediately. Let me go on a payment plan. You know, are you noticing that kind of addressing each issue in turn? You're avoiding any creeping anxiety that used to used to happen with you when you neglected things. Yeah, I am. I'm looking at things a lot differently. And then like I'm seeing stuff where if it's like I used to look at something that like maybe I got a bill that was a $500 bill from like, you know, a hospital thing or something like that. If you would have looked back four or five years ago, I would have looked at that and it would have been like the worst thing ever. I've been like, oh, my God, that, you know, how am I going to pay that? Blah, 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 blah. But now if I look at it, it's like, okay, it's 500 bucks. I can put that on a payment plan, pay it over two times, blah, blah, blah. It's not a big deal. I can get it taken care of and get it out of my life, you know. So rather than looking at things like a giant pile of stuff, I just started to individualize things. Yeah. 
and figure out what could be done quicker. And this needs to be done today. This needs to be done tomorrow. And in doing so, you kind of clear the deck of all the shit that used to kind of kind of clutter up a mind that's now free to book shows across the country. Right. Yeah. It kind of <laughs> frees up the brain a little bit and frees up the, uh, the time a little bit to figure out stuff and work on things. Wow. Well, that dude, I'm so glad we were able to talk about this because, um, you know, it's nice to know that people can go see your show and, um, you know, not only laugh at the things, you know, the few funny stories that you, that you do have, but you're honest enough with it where you're, you're able to admit that it was, it was, you know, that diamond in the rough was piled beneath a, a, a rough pile of shit, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, oh, cool. Thank you so much. And then they're, they're going to find these show dates, um, you know, Jonas, Jonas Barnes across all social platforms. Yeah. Um, at Jonas Barnes on Twitter at Jonas Barnes comedy on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you'll find me on Facebook. Um, You'll probably find me with a picture of Guy Fieri as the profile picture. Yeah, I see a couple. One's your backup account. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the the Guy Fieri one. The backup account's uh, up and running right now because I said something I wasn't supposed to on Facebook. Oh, Jonas Barnes. I mean, you you got so far in recovery saying inappropriate things on Facebook. I mean, that's just going to be an impediment to your recovery, right? Right, absolutely. <laughs> well, that's, dude, that's so cool. And then I will, um, I will check it out. Um, it sounds like you know, if I want to see a great Creek in the Cave show in Long Island City, which is near me, whenever New York City starts again, you are going to be booking the big old chubby headliner. In, chubby in that, it's going to be a big old forty-five minutes of greatness. Yeah, any uh, as soon as the as soon as the city opens back up and we're doing regular stuff again, it's every Monday at eight o'clock. A weekly fucking show, man. Only because you have an uncluttered brain are you able to work this hard. Oh, believe me, if I would have tried to do this four years ago, I would have been destroyed. <laughs> it would have been, you know, every four years. It would have been an Olympic event instead of every fucking oh, week. God. It would have made me drink so much more. <laughs> oh, dude, I love that. Jonas Barnes, thank you so much. All right, thanks, man. Thank you for having me. <laughs>